Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and you know what time it is. It's time for Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit with yours truly, Dr. Carol Penn. My, and you, come on, you guys know who I am right now, doubly board certified in family medicine and obesity medicine, as well as your master movement meditation and mindset coach, two-time best-selling author, medical correspondent, blogger, podcaster, speaker, and so happy to be here with you every Sunday morning. And we discuss what? We discuss different areas of medicine, health and wellness education. We understand what obesity medicine is. I love obesity medicine or the conceptualization of it because, yes, it is about reducing those fat masses, those unhealthy fat masses, but it's also multifactorial. It's a multifactorial relapsing and remitting disease process that's chronic, taking place over time. So what do we need to do to come into balance so our body hits its optimum weight and stays there? So we do look at it from the medical point of view, but it's also that double entendre, right? What weight do you need to lift off of your shoulders in order to be your best in mind, body, and spirit. And today I'm so excited. I have a super special guest. You're going to meet him in a moment, but let me see who some of our early birds are. And good morning, Linda Parker Edwards. Welcome. Red Bank is in the house, my hometown community. Good morning, Mary Ann. Monmouth County, New Jersey is in the house. Good morning, Cyril. Good afternoon, where you are. My goodness, yes, watching from Saudi Arabia. So we really are international as those early birds start to gather, start to wake up. So I'm so excited to see them. But let's get ready to meet today's special guest. I am going to go ahead and I'm going to, while he's backstage, I'm going to read his biography to you. And I want to read, I usually don't do this because, well, you know, bring the guest on and, and highlight certain things. But I find his biography a bit unusual, a bit inspiring. And I think that you all should know his biography as well, as well. So we have Dr. Ian Cyrus with us today. So Dr. Ian is a native of Trinidad and Tobago, is a former U.S. Marine and FBI special agent. All right, there, there's the unusual right there. Did you hear me? Is a former U.S. Marine and FBI special agent. He earned a BS in sports medicine and an MS in biomechanics from Temple University and is a certified athletic trainer. Since young adulthood, he has had several long-term apprenticeships under some well-known masters. He's a graduate of the International School of Shiatsu of Doylestown, Pennsylvania. He graduated with honors from the Tri-State College of Acupuncture in New York, New York, where he earned an MS in Acupuncture Oriental Medicine and is a member of the advisory board. He also graduated from Pacific 
College of Oriental Medicine, where he earned a doctorate of acupuncture and Chinese medicine, integrative medicine. He is currently a faculty member at the Wan Institute of Graduate Studies in Glenside, Pennsylvania, a graduate program in acupuncture and oriental medicine. He is the founder and innovator of... Oriental Medicine, Physical Medicine, OMPM, a unique approach to myofascial pain and dysfunction and musculoskeletal pain. He is board certified by the National Commission for the Certification of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. He has been in practice for over 20 years. All right. So do you, do you, do you see that journey? Marine, FBI special agent, sports trainer, sports medicine, into this world of oriental medicine and acupuncture. It's fascinating, right? Absolutely fascinating. And I want to know the backstory. I want to hear the backstory this morning. Good morning and welcome, Victoria. Victoria, I was so, I'm so happy that you were able to join us this morning. Oh, Marianne, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Good morning and welcome, Sharon. So, I don't know, you know, Dr. Ian and so many of my guests are like, who gets up this early in the morning to check out, check out this show? Well, he's gonna meet you all soon and I know you'll be asking him your wonderful questions. Let me just go on just a little bit. Ian has served as a board member of the now American Association of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine for six years in the capacities of treasurer, vice president, and president. During his tenure, he made significant changes moving the American Association of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine toward a more professional stage. Ian is one of the founding members of the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, Myrna, yeah, Myrna Bryan Center of Integrative Medicine in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where he distinguished himself as a master practitioner and the developer of the pain management program that currently exists there. My goodness, he has contributed to emerging integrative medicine paradigm. Ian frequently conducts grand rounds on various aspects of oriental medicine and its role in the field of pain management. He also teaches and mentors third and fourth year medical students in oriental medicine and its role in the overall health care. He has presented his unique approach to such groups as the North Carolina Annual Convention of Family Physicians, the Pennsylvania Health Expo, and others. He is currently in private practice and is a faculty member at the Juan Institute of Graduate Studies, Glenside. Pennsylvania. And wait, y'all, there's more. I got to keep going. You got to hear this. This is, I usually don't do this, but this is so important. Ian is an internationally known martial arts master. He is the lineage holder of Chosun Guamba. He has achieved the highest possible ranking, ninth Don, in Hapkido. He is the founder of the Yushin Hapji Muyai, a unique system of martial arts. He also holds mastership levels in Taekwondo, uh, Chen Tai Chi Duan, Yin Fu Ba Gua Zhang, Ito Tishin Riken Jitsu. I think I got that all. Ian is also an ordained Buddhist monk and priest. His Dharma name, and I'll let him tell you about that because we're going to get into all of this. We're just going to go now. I've got a lot of questions. His vision for the future is as follows. 
The Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine Center vision is to create equal access to East Asian medicine as a viable medical alternative to promote seamless integration into the conventional healthcare environment, research and education to hold a space for prevention, holistic care, health and wellness for all stakeholders. Let's welcome Dr. Ian to the broadcast. Good morning, good morning, sir. Good morning. Go ahead and unmute yourself so we can hear your good morning. Good morning. I had to get good morning, Dr. Dietrich. Yes, my accountability partner from the wonderful Medical Mogul Academy is on America's relaxation doctor. Guest on the show, so we're excited to have Dr. So let's just get all into it. So, acupuncture, Oriental medicine, Chinese medicine. First of all, a little little backdrop. Marine, FBI. So from there, you could have gone in a lot of different directions. What drew you towards fields of health? Uh, well, you know, I was, as a kid growing up in Trinidad, I was raised by my great grandmother and she held a very interesting position in our village. I actually grew up in a traditional African village in Trinidad known as Mayaro. And she, she was the village, uh, herbalist, the village psychologist, the village midwife, as you know, she she wore many hats and the house we lived in was probably the busiest place in the village. And, and I saw her do some amazing things with, with, with traditional herbal medicines and, and, other, and other physical interventions. And that, that was always kind of like, uh, you know, in my consciousness. So, you know, the, my transition from being a Marine to FBI agent to, was me just trying to fit into the to the traditional role of what it means to be a black man in this country. That's that's it. You know, my family migrated here in 1974, and by 1975, I was already a Marine. So, um, so th there was nothing you know else about that except for the fact that you know my great grandmother implanted the seeds of medicine in my consciousness and, and and it grew to the point where i just could not ignore it anymore so th that's it <laughs> well thank you for sharing that i think what you're saying that was very important because i know that i was in my lineage through my grandmother and my grandmother was always getting something out of the backyard and and that these these herbs and these plants had healing properties food had healing properties the way you prepare things also had its own Energetic imprint, if you will, or medicine to it. So I think that that knowing that background, how that shapes and informs you as a man of color, as an African American man, as a Caribbean American, is very important and tells a story 
a backdrop story to this. And so, but you could have gone into, you know, Western medicine, you could have gone into chiropractic care, you could have gone, you know, so, you know, why this path and, and tell people, well, what is oriental medicine and what is acupuncture? I think a lot of people don't necessarily know. Well, that's, that's a loaded question and it's down a rabbit hole on that one, but, <laughs> but you know, this medicine, you know, from what they can tell from, from archeological um, discoveries goes back well past 7,000 years. And um, there have been some discoveries made where, um, where the, the, they discovered, and this body was discovered actually in, in Northern Europe where um, they carbon dated this, this person um, uh, to about 7,000 years. And on this person, there, there were tattoos of meridian and acupuncture points. And in the belly of this person or gut, they discovered an herbal formula. Apparently this person was being treated herbally for um, something like asthma or something like that. He died from an arrow in his, in his shoulder. Um, so, but never mind that how it came about is kind of like a, a mishmash of, of experiences. And, you know, some believe that it came out of military um, activity where the field surgeons would observe what's going on on the battlefield. Like if, uh, you know, somebody has, again, asthma and they get poked at a certain point and it clears the asthma symptoms up. And over time, those, those incidences were, were um, recorded and codified into the system that we now have. Some believe that it's due to uh, body work you know, massage, you know, if something hurts and you rub it, you know, it mediates pain, right? So some believe it's from some spiritual master or monk sitting on the side of a hill meditating and had this flash of intuition and insight and was able to record what that was. So there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of, you know, um, ideas about how this thing emerged, but, the person who kind of brought this thing to, to, to our consciousness here in the, and I'm cutting to the chase here, right? Is, is uh, you guys remember when Nixon went to um, China, right? He was the one who, yeah, he, he there was an advanced party pre preceding his arrival there. And one of the reporters, um, his name is James Reston. There's an article in the New York Times. You can you can go online and, and download it, actually. He, he had an attack of appendicitis. And they used acupuncture as anesthesia to remove the, the, the disease appendix. And then you further used acupuncture as a means to manage, manage post-operative pain. Um, and then when he came back to the US, he wrote this landmark article that kind of put acupuncture on the map, so to speak. And it was probably one of the most well-read articles of that time, I believe it was. I don't recall the date, but I think it was probably 1972 or something like that. So that's how it kind of got here. But, but 
what the more I learn about this medicine, um, the more I realize that 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 what, however, this system came together, uh, modern research is is proving it to be what it is. Like for instance, in in this medicine, we have this these things called meridians or channels through which this latent or this motive force known as chi, meaning energy, flows. And these discrete pathways has always been a mystery, you know, because you, you know, you can't touch it. You can't, you know, how do you substantiate that these things really exist, right? Well, uh, some time ago, um, this researcher from, uh, I believe she's at Boston University, her name is Helene Langevin, um, an MD who was fully trained in this medicine, conducted a landmark research project with very interesting results. So what she found is that these discrete pathways or meridians through which chi flows or this energy flows is actually discrete pathways of uh, fascia. Okay. And, and what she found out is that this fascial network communicates with every other part of every cell, every other part of the body, independently of the nervous system. And she called that communication mechanotransduction. Okay, I know that's a big word, but in other words, she's saying, from, you know, if you, if you try to stand still, you won't be able to, because there is the body is making very subtle compensatory movements in order to maintain your erect posture and it's the fascia that's doing that and these little tiny movements causes the fascia to stretch and that's what causes this electrical discharge of energy or whatever you want to call it through a discrete pathways now this fascia system is made up of crystalline-like cellular structures. So basically, it's liquid crystal. Mm. And, and when you subject crystal to mechanical stress, there's this thing called a piezoelectric effect, right? Like that's the transducer head of an ultrasound machine. It's a crystal and being subjected to, to electrical charges. Mm -hmm. And it creates this this effect. So, so far, that's what she has discovered, and it, and and it's kind of it kind of turned our profession on its head, so to speak, because you know she was able to prove that through needling, when you insert a needle and you twirl the needle or lift and thrust it, it causes the fascia to stretch, and then there's this discharge of electricity along that pathway. And this pathway feeds organs and systems and, and what have you. So, so that's it going from this mysterious thing based on its supposed discovery 7,000 years ago to where we are now in the here and now. And she's continuing to do this research. She's actually one of the directors at the NIH now. Oh. So that's good for us practitioners because she's able to steer research in the direction of of proving why and how this thing works. So uh, there's a lot of information on PubMed, which is the search engine for research for the NIH and other research projects. And if you go to that 
NIH uh, website and or, or PubMed, and you put in acupuncture and and say low back pain or acupuncture and asthma, there's 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 a, there's a fair amount of research um, involved in that. So practitioners like me who who are who are at the doctorate level, I tend to use uh, research in order to number one gain the patient's confidence because I'll hand that article and say, here, go read it. Number two, it allows me to make, um, <clears throat> it allows me to make clinical decisions, well-informed clinical decisions about how I'm going to help this patient. Okay, so. Uh, excellent, so Sharon is saying it's the best description she has ever heard of how this works. I agree, Sharon, it was a brilliant description. And I think again, translating it into, you know, for the Western mind, you know, we need to know, you know, uh, we can be data-driven. We've been trained to look for the, you know, randomized control trial uh, as in these uh, scientific studies for validation. So, but let's, you know, well, my, it's interesting, my acupuncture uh, story, I've been being treated with acupuncture myself since Bill Moyers did a special. Do you remember that special? And then after he did the special, he actually had it transcribed into a book. I saw the special, I purchased the book, and one of the things he did in that special was he highlighted a hospital in China where here was the Western medicine and the Chinese medicine, you know, side by each. And he was showing these surgeries that you just described, you know, just with using the insertion of acupuncture to do these surgeries without the anesthetics the general anesthesia that we tend to use here. And he was specifically highlighting the treating of fibroids, which is, seems like the bane of African-American women, fibroid tumors in our breast, fibroid tumors in our uterus. And at the time I had started a cycle of having fibroids. And after about five or six surgeries, I was like, wait a minute, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another approach. And it was after I saw that special and read the Bill Moyers book that I started seeking out Chinese medical doctors and acupuncturists in uh, my area. And I was living in um, Washington, D.C. at the time. So my first acupuncturist was actually in uh, Washington. Uh, no, my first one was in New York. Second one was in Washington, D.C. So, and it's been a brilliant part of my life for the last 30 years. It's something, it's my go-to. It is something that I use to keep myself well. So let's talk about the approach. It's a little bit different approach. We know in Chinese medicine, you work with the five organ systems, the five elements. Talk about this system of fives, if you will, the elements and the organ system and how that might be a little bit different and how it might be very useful along with what we see as Western medicine. Okay, what well, unmute. <laughs> the best way I can explain that is that 
uh, and it's, you know, most people refer to this as the five elements, right? But it's really correctly referred to as the five phases because it's a dynamic system. This, this five-phase system has a, what they call a creation cycle and a destruction cycle, and one thing controls the other. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's really another filter of the yin-yang theory, okay? And let me give you an example. The, the five phases could be reflected in the, the five flavors, for instance. So if you look at a, a well-crafted Chinese meal, these five flavors are included in the meal to balance the its related organ systems, right? Uh, you probably have never thought that way about Chinese food before, but that's an important consideration. For instance, the bitter um, flavors mediates the heart, right? The the uh, sour flavors. Uh, like orange and, and lemon, you know, benefits the liver, it vents the liver. You know, we, we say that if, you, if you're angry or have a headache, eat a green apple. <laughs> okay. Um, the sweet flavors benefits the spleen and the stomach um, uh, systems. So each flavor has an impact on, on a particular, or the acrid flavors benefits the lung. Of course, guess what the salty flavors uh, benefits in, in moderation? The kidneys, right? So, and then, the, and then if you layer on top of that emotions, that's a huge thing. We have two distinct roots, how somebody could be out of balance or, 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 or develop some form of dis-ease, not disease, but dis-ease, okay? Um, for instance, anger, prolonged anger, resentment, or any, any um, emotion along that continuum can damage the liver, okay? So you'll find people who, 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 who are always angry and, and what have you, they have reduced liver function, and that's been proven, okay? Um, Grief, for instance, you know, you lose someone, an animal, a parent, a friend, and you're, in the, you're going through the stages of grief. If you don't resolve that and it's prolonged, it can damage the lung function. It can damage the lung. All right. So uh, fear. And, and, you know, we're, we're all experiencing a combination of these things these days with, with, with loss of the tremendous loss of life that we're experiencing now because of this COVID-19 thing and the fear of it all. So the, the fear part of it damages the kidneys. Kidneys, yeah. Okay. So, so, and worry, because now we're all worrying about the state of affairs. Worry and rumination and overthinking damages the spleen. So we have this interesting system of assessment and diagnoses that even as the patient walks through the door, the way they hold their bodies gives me information. You know, you know, you have people who who have a groaning kind of voice, you know, it's like or or they laugh inappropriately. 
that gives information. You know, like if somebody who laughs inappropriately and you're wondering what's so funny, um, that's a sign of mania that damages the heart. So we gain all of this information the instant we make contact with a patient. So it's not, it's not about, it's not about me saying, all right, go get an X-ray or go get some blood work done. It's not about that. It's it's something that's more existential than that, and you know how that person moves, how they hold their bodies, um, all of that gives information. And then to fine tune all of that, we have a complex system of pulse diagnosis and tongue diagnosis. Like let's look at the tongue for instance. The topography of the tongue gives a lot of information, and and and. It's more long-term. The tongue reflects more of a long-term condition of the organ systems. Like for instance, if you look at the tongue and the middle of the tongue is yellow, right? If it's yellow and it's very noticeably yellow, it has a yellow coat on the, in the middle of the tongue, that's more of a digestive dysfunction. And we see a lot of that in, in our practice these days, you know, it, because, you know, people are overeating and, and from stress and there's, you know, overuse of antibiotics and, and other uh, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs damages the gut flora and the gut literally becomes inflamed, right? So that inflammation is reflected in the center of the tongue. So, so um, that's, that, so if you look at your tongue and you see this yellow coat in the middle of the tongue, know that that's a the digestive problem you're having. Mm -hmm. If if there is a if there is a straight line like a crevice going through the middle of that area, then it's really bad. You really have something along the lines of leaky gut syndrome or dysbiosis. Okay, if that if that central crack reaches all the way to the tip of the tongue, well, then you're looking at some cardiac involvement in the future. Wow. wow. Right? Because we know that, that, that cardiac neuroses can result from gut dysfunction via the vagus nerve. That's been proven, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's just an example of, and the tip of the tongue represents the heart. Just behind that tip represents the lung. So you know that this scenario that I'm describing here, you know, people with gut dysfunction, you if it's not checked properly, can end up with with, with asthma. Yes. Right. And we know that that you know it can lead to cardiac um, events. So that gives us as practitioners almost like foresight or or, or 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 insight into what your future is going to look like. So then I can say to the patient, hey, you know. I would like you to do X, Y, and Z because here's this train coming down the tracks and if you don't do this, it's going to hit you. Okay. So, and then we have a system of pulse diagnosis, which is very complex. Um, we have on each wrist, we have six positions and collectively representing the 12 organ system, right? It's on the radial pulse, the radial pulse, right? Yes. So we're able to take the pulse, and if, the, if you look at that tongue presentation, you would expect that, that there's inflammation, you would expect that there is you know, all of that going on. So 
you take a look at the, you palpate the, and that it takes a lifetime to master pulse diagnosis. It is a very complex system. Some of us are better at it than others, okay? But as you palpate the pulse, if the pulse is overall rapid, like, I mean rapid meaning over 90 to 100 beats a minute, with a tongue presentation like that, it just confirms what's going on, okay? It, 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 it just tells you what's going on. You know, you look at the lung zone on the pulse, if it's if it's floating and you know they say that when you have a floating pulse it, it can mean two things it, it can mean you have a you can it means you have an epf invasion meaning uh, a pathogenic factor invasion like covid 19 okay or it can mean that you have some kind of kidney yang deficiency where where the pulse it's not rooted in the body properly. So it can either be lung or kidneys. And we know from embryology that the lung and the kidneys actually develop from the same tissue at the same time, all right? So there's all of those correlations. So what all of this allows me to do almost in an instant is to frame what's known as a pattern of disharmony. Mm-hmm. Now, bear in mind that as practitioners of acupuncture and oriental medicine, we don't necessarily treat biomedically defined conditions. We treat a pattern of disharmony. So if you come to me with low back pain, you may that's how you communicate that to me. But in my brain, I'm thinking, oh, this person has, you know, kidney yang deficiency with blah, blah, blah. That's what my brain is saying while you're talking. And I'm taking all of these, uh, performing all of these diagnostic tests to confirm that. Then at the end, I'd say, all right, kidney yang deficiency with, you know, with excess this and excess that. And that's the language that's going on in our heads. But you're thinking, oh, he's treating low back pain. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there is no need for me to confuse my patients by saying, oh, you know, that problem you have on your tongue, that, that's spleen yang deficiency. That means not that means nothing to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Or that back problem you have, that's kidney yang deficiency. Wow. Well, you know, these are such beautiful explanations. So Dr. Erica is saying, this is such a great show. Thank you so much, Dr. Erica, and welcome. She is a psychiatrist and just doing some really interesting things in terms of her work with with her patients. And we do have a question from the audience. So I do want, and good morning, Patricia. Thank you for tuning in. And she would, Patricia was listening as you were going through the, you know, the organ systems. I have one question. We went through bitter, sweet, salt, sour, and for the lung, what is that fifth flavor for the lung? It's acrid. It's like a pungent. Pungent. That's what I thought. Pungent. Yes, that's what I call it. Pungent. Okay. All right. So this is the question. What damages the adrenals? The adrenals is kidney yang deficiency. And that's one of the most confusing um, things even among practitioners because the adrenals sits on top of the kidneys, correct? Yes. Right. So 
when we talk about kidney yin deficiency, we're actually referring to the kidney organ itself. When we say kidney yang deficiency, we are referring to the adrenal. At least that is my qualified opinion about that, mm -hmm. right? Because the kidney as a system, you know, we, we, all of these organs are divided into yin and yang categories. The kidneys, the lungs, the spleen, the liver, you know, these organs are related to the, the, the yin um, aspect of a person's makeup. The yang aspects is more of the, the hollow organs like the stomach, that's a hollow organ, okay? The large intestine, it holds things. So the yin organs are solid organs that creates things and the yang organs holds things like the large intestine, uh, the stomach, you know, those, those, those types of organs holds things, the, the, the urinary bladder, for instance, it, it contains things. So, um, so the kidney as a whole, a practitioner might say, oh, you have kidney yang deficiency. But, and then we have this, this codification of right versus left kidney, but I don't think that's correct. I think somewhere in history that must have been mistranslated. And that's my qualified opinion. I think what we should be talking about is upper and lower kidney. The upper meaning the adrenals, the lower meaning the organ itself. Now, let me say that the kidney itself is a yin organ. It's the only organ system we have where there is a yin and yang component. It's yin, but within this yin component, there is all, it has yin and yang aspects. So what that means is that every disease or dysfunction or problem can be traced back to either kidney yin deficiency or yang deficiency. Now, some practitioners believe that you can have an excess of kidney function, right? Or dysfunction, for instance. But that's not how it is in the literature. Um, you know, that may be true. We have yet to prove otherwise, but but it, you know, the adrenals is a very important thing. Um, I pay a lot of attention to that because a lot of people are in what, and I know some in some medical literature they totally disagree with this. Some people actually, their problem is adrenal exhaustion. Mm -hmm. You know, especially you know when people are in that fight flight mode and they can't come out of it. They, they, they're in that mode because of work, family, and other problems, especially with the stressors that we're dealing with in our current times. And they're in this sympathetic mode where the adrenals don't shut off. I mean, one of my favorite books discusses this, this problem eloquently and, and even talks about acupuncture as a way of mediating that problem is The Stress of Life by Hans Selyer, one of my favorite books. I think every medical professional or every patient yes. should read that book. Written um, at 256, absolutely. Yes, yes, it's, it's, it's listed on my website as required reading. Um, and what Hans Selyer um, uh, was able to frame uh, was this whole concept of GAS, General Adaptation Syndrome, that 
that comes from hyperactivity of the adrenal, where where you have <clears throat> an excess amount of cortisol pumping through your system, which is really poisonous to the to the human mechanism, right? And if that keeps up, you know, he's done the original research on the effect of stress on physiology and on the psychology. His book still stands to this day unrivaled in my opinion. His understudy though, um, Robert Sapolsky, Dr. Robert Sapolsky wrote a book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. It's, it's got a funny title, but it covers ground that the stress of life didn't, you know, so, that's recommended reading. If you want to read something really interesting, The Stress of Life, it, it is, or Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. The Stress of Life, maybe for us professionals, because there's a lot of research language in there that is kind of cumbersome to get through. But Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers covers the same ground and a little bit more, but in a little bit more tongue in cheek kind of language. Yeah, I love both of those books, They're, they've been um, long time reading for me and I refer to them again and again. You're really getting at something here. Oh, Dr. Erica is saying she misses her acupuncturist so much. Yeah, <laughs> a good one. And you're not with them. You will miss them. Um, you know, one of the things you're talking about, you've mentioned yin and yang. Mm -hmm. And you've also mentioned a little bit about the autonomic nervous system. I know when I'm teaching meditation, I teach people the, the neurobiology behind it, the neurophysiology. And that's really in that word balance. Could you tie that together, these concepts together for us just a little bit more so people understand yin, yang, and okay. to the autonomic nervous system? Well, you know, well, we have two main branches of the nervous system, right? We have the, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic aspects of our nervous system. When and and there is a tension between those two things, so to speak. You know, yin and yang are just polar opposites. You know, they they repel each other, they attract each other, they need each other to exist. Okay. Well, if you draw a line and you put a, a vertical line through that as the midpoint, you know, there's this constant oscillation of those two those two things between that line is when it gets outside of a certain limit, then that's when the body breaks down and there's disease and suffering and all like that. You know, one of my teachers, he always would say to me, Ian, as long as you keep the yin yang symbol central to your thoughts, you cannot go wrong. Um, and that takes, that takes a while to really figure out what that means. You know, so, um, because everything can be can be broken down into yin and yang. You know, uh, we have uh, the front of the body is yin, the back of the body is yang. For instance, um, uh, we have the lung that's yin and its correlate, which is the large intestine. Now, how you know, how is it that the lung and the large intestine are a pair? In in, 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 in in this medicine because they, they seem so disparate, right? I mean, but those two organ systems or channel systems or meridians, lung, large intestine, represent a very important fact of our existence. 
Number one, the lung assimilates. You know, when you take a breath in, it assimilates. The large intestine eliminates. So, so that's the function of a basic organism, isn't it? It, it, it takes in and it excretes. So um, you can look at these pairs, like at, or the stomach spleen, for instance. Uh, you take in, uh, in, and that also has to do with taking in information, by the way. When you, some people have a problem assimilating information, then you know that's a lung problem. Mm. Or some people have a problem with, with digesting food or being able to digest that information. That's a problem. So it's not just, you know, for the psychiatrists in our meeting this morning, we have a, also a very complex system of dealing with psychiatric or psychological um, problems. We just don't, don't uh, I don't mention this to my clients too much, but you can, as my grandmother would say, you can bet your bottom dollar that, that, that whenever I insert one of those filaments, the psycho-emotional component of that problem is being addressed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, I tell you, I love, 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 love <laughs> acupuncture. So, not only is Ian a friend and colleague, but Ian is part of my personal health and wellness team and has treated me. And I, and I have to say that. Acupuncture is, is the gift that keeps on, on giving because it's like it goes in like these concentric circles. You know, once those meridians have been open, once they have been activated, it, it, it to me, it feels, uh, you know, very integrated in my body. Like it just, there just keeps opening, keeps opening. And then I notice if there is a, a tightness, like I can feel for me, I'm energetically attuned or aware when certain things are blocking. And then when I go, so I go on a regular basis. I, you know, I have an acupuncturist in every state, I think up and down the Eastern uh, seaboard. And, you know, and also doing some self-massage and, you know, knowing where certain meridians are to, to treat myself. So, I know that you have a wide reach and you transitioned during the pandemic to acupuncture telemedicine. Can you tell people how that works and how you are working with your patients? And there's Ian's website, www.eastasianmed.com. So I want you to screenshot that. I want you to go over there and I want you to continue to learn more. Hmm. Okay. Um, telemedicine <clears throat> with this is a little bit of a challenge because it's so hands-on. You know, this medicine requires, you know, hands-on work. But what I would do is, is you know, we have these interesting little gadgets in, in this medicine. And I would you know, I would first talk to the patient and, and, and screen them and then find out what they might need. And I would send it to them in the mail, um, whether it's a moxa stick or, or, or stick on moxa, which is that Artemisia vulgaris that we burn on acupuncture points. Or I would send them some um, intradermal 
little tiny intradermal needles. And it's interesting what goes on in these sessions because I'm actually teaching these patients how to locate these acupuncture points based on their presentation, how to apply the moxa to it, if that's what they need, how to apply an intradermal needle. This is a little tiny needle with a Band-Aid on top of it, and they keep it in for a day or two or whatever so that they have continued stimulation. I teach them how to meditate because that's when my Buddhist aspect kicks in because a lot of these people, you know, if they were in my office, the first thing I would do is teach them how to breathe. <laughs> you know, so, um, so you know, I mean, it, it's just a creative way of extending treatment outside of my of my office. I, I don't know what else to say about that, but it does make a difference. But um, lately, though, uh, more and more of my clients are coming back, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Well, I put up there, I would love our viewers take a screenshot of the phone number because you can call and have a consultation with uh, Dr. Ian. And Dr. Ian can certainly work with you face-to-face in his office. We can also guide you because so much of what Dr. Ian does in person over the phone is education. And education is so important. So we have, look, we have Dr. Aaron, our psychiatrist, he says, screenshot, no. <laughs> Darren says, talk has motivated me to make an appointment. It's not only a treat, but a priority. And I say, yes, it's a priority. Right now, um, I'm working with my New Jersey-based acupuncturist, as is my mom. And Dr. Ethan and I, we have, we're part of a group where we have a, a monthly chat with myself, sharing um, good medicine are, um, you know, we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about balancing. We're talking about tapping into and teaching our patients how to tap into balance that autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic overtone with the parasympathetic and bringing that, usually it's the sympathetic that predominates, but we want to bring the parasympathetic up. And the parasympathetic is your rest your your rest and reboot, if you will, your rest and reboot. And that's a lot of the science we think the um, spontaneous healing arises out of the body's own intrinsic healing properties arise out of that parasympathetic uh, system. So I just, you know, you know, Dr. Ian, you mentioned that when you work with your patients, you first thing they come into the office, you often teach them how to breathe. Um, so, oh, yes, 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 yes. So, here I'm being reminded that Dr. Carol, is it time to share the role of TCM in the birth of your son? Absolutely, absolutely. So, I so this story is I actually was trying to conceive and, you know, I was a quote unquote, the older first time mother. And um, 
the man that I'm married to now <laughs> actually, uh, you know, was a practitioner, had studied Chinese um, uh, medicine. And I, I shared with, with him that, you know, I, I wanted to, I was, I was trying to conceive. I wanted to start my family and he actually treated my spleen points. And again, this was something that, you know, bringing into balance, this bringing into balance and, and, and within a few days of that treatment, I was pregnant. So it is, it has really been a part of my life. Like I say, the last uh, 30 years, and it's been with me at every stage of my life. And the end of my story, as far as my fibroid tumors, well, after being treated with, I had five at one time, they shrank, four of the five disappeared. And then that just left one, which was uh, surgically uh, removed. And I haven't had any fibroids ever since. And that's been over 30 years, over 30 years, um, which was marvelous. And, you know, I, I, I was able to preserve all of my breast ducts. I was able to breastfeed my son. And this was after having had about five or six surgeries leading up to that point. So I knew there had to be a better way. Right now, my mom has a stage four cholangiocarcinoma. And uh, we're using, she, she's not having any of the side effects from her chemo, what people think of as side effects with chemotherapy. We also did this with my dad. So it was, um, you know, really, 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 um, it's been instrumental not only for me, but also in my family care. Whole, you know, so I'm a family medicine doc. This is family medicine, you know, getting at the back of things. So that's a little bit of the, the story of my life in acupuncture the last 30 years. So, you know, important stuff. And uh, we have uh, a, one of our audiences sharing a story. Uh, Patricia, you described my tongue 100% after pancreatic surgery. It turned yellow, chunk, and split to the bottom. I got endocarditis and had a minor heart attack. So, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So, you know, this, you know, this is... Yeah, again, I feel that acupuncture and the Chinese philosophy, medical philosophy, these wisdom traditions, Ayurvedic traditions, uh, traditions from the Yoruba, are all these wisdom traditions that are, are coming forward and that are interweaving. People need to know about them. They need to know about practitioners such as yourself, Dr. Ian, so that they can be the educated patients, so that a difference can be made in their life. And, you know, it's like, I also believe that when one heals, that helps heal the person next to you, helps heal the person next to you, helps heal the person next to you. So again, it's like dropping the pond, the, the pebble in the pond, these concentric circles. Could you talk a little bit about the, the community aspect? What happens when a person is healed and what happens which shifts then happen in their community because of their healing? Well, you know, we're dealing with energy here primarily. Um, you know, of course, when you insert a filament or an acupuncture needle, you, you're dealing with the substance of the body, but we know that energy is, uh, is, is always on the verge of becoming matter and matter is always on the verge of becoming energy. So when, 
you have somebody in your midst whose energy is oscillating or vibrating at a slightly higher level, everyone benefits. That's the, that's the greater community um, implication of it. Uh, so that's it, you know, it's, it's energetic medicine. And, 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 you know, I have to constantly remain mindful that, that what I'm doing here is really manipulating people's energy. And that can have some far reaching implications in every aspects of aspect of your lives. So that ripple effect as, as uh, Marianne just uh, posted, it, it, it's a real thing, you know, you know, be the change you want to see. So, <clears throat> so, and as a practitioner, if I don't keep myself healthy and balanced, I'm no good to my patients because energy tends to move from an area of high to low concentrations. And, and, and if I don't maintain my health in every sense of the word, I don't think my patients would, would do well, you know, because I would attract that kind of, um, of, of problem. So it's important for me to practice my Tai Chi and my Qigong and eat right and, you know, involve myself in healthy relationships. And, you know, there's a whole continuum of that. And it's all about keeping energy balanced. That's really what it is. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and that each of us has a responsibility. I just want to, you know, I just want us to join hands here. And I want us to go into all the schools to start teaching this to our youngest. You know, this the importance of, you know, energy, 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 energy shifting. So we have... DM is saying, okay, okay, if this must be part one of the dialogue. <laughs> so, Dr. Ian, you must come back on again because it's already two minutes to the hour. You know, I would like, if you can, can you just, you mentioned breathing. Could you just take us out with just a little bit of breathing activity so we can all breathe together as a, as a community going on out the show? Like we have for, for Victoria, acupuncture is very unfamiliar territory for me. The show has piqued my interest and I will be exploring it more moving forward. That's exactly what I was hoping. Before Victoria, I want to go check out Dr. Ian's website. The website itself is a wealth. Dr. Ian, Dr. Ian, give us, give us a little bit of that breathing instruction. Okay, so we're going to breathe, you know, below our diaphragm. And we're going to breathe into this area known as the Dantian or the Dungeon, meaning red elixir. That's about three inches below the belly button three inches deep and envision an orb of light um, uh, about three inches in diameter. And that's what you're gonna breathe into. And also you wanna make sure that your shoulder is, is held back slightly and erect and your ears is directly over your shoulder, all right? So the right posture is what engenders this breath. So when you breathe in, imagine that you're breathing in into a balloon. So you fill this balloon from the bottom up, okay? Just hold that image and the breath is gonna be three counts in, hold for one and three counts out. So I'll just guide you with that. Okay, breathe in, 
one, two, three, and you hold for one count, and out, one, two, three, in, one, two, three, hold for one, out, one, two, three. So, you know, continue breathing like that will change your stress response. If you look at babies, they don't breathe from the shoulders, right? They yeah. don't do this. Yeah. They breathe from the lower abdomen, which is why they, when they scream, the whole world hears them. <laughs> There's a reason for that. <laughs> oh, thank you. That was absolutely delightful. So important, again, for our health that we learn this diaphragmatic breathing. Dr. Ian, I told you the hour was going to fly by. You see, we have such a beautiful and involved audience. Uh, they take this information to heart. Will you come back and share some more of your wisdom with us? Absolutely. <laughs> excellent, 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 excellent. So here we're getting our gratitude. Thank you, Dr. Carol and Dr. Ian. Informative. Marianne, very informative segment. Excellent, excellent. All right, fabulous show. Dr. Ian must return. <laughs> yes, yes. Sharon is saying thank you. So we're getting our, our gratitude here. Listen, y'all, have a fabulous Sunday. Come right back here next Sunday. Dr. Michelle Clay, one of my colleagues, we're going to be introducing a new segment on the show. And Dr. Michelle is going to be talking to us about meditation. You know, that's my love. You know, that's what I teach. And of course, one of my uh, superhero friends is going to be here. We're going to be introducing that as a new segment. So Patricia, thanks for sharing your wisdom. Victoria saying thank you. This has been delightful, delightful. And as always, you can reach out to me. Um, for a discovery call, for sure. You've got some questions. You need to, you know, ask me anything. That's what we do. That's what we do, right? So there it is, Weightless and Mind, Body, and Spirit, Spirit with Dr. Carol Penn, www.drcarolpenn.com. You can schedule a discovery call with me on my website. And uh, my goodness, we have one more comment Yes, DM is saying thanks for sharing your super friends. All right, on that note, see you all next week. Thank you so much. Ubuntu, everyone. Happy Sunday.